Right, all right. Now we call that back home where I come from a premature clap, where you clap before the end and you clap again at the end. Yeah, 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 I heard that, I heard that. Now what that tells me is there's somebody in here that was so eager to clap, you started clapping early. Does anybody know who it was? They were, it was probably near you. You heard somebody clapping and you just hopped in. Do you know who it was? Janelle's pointing at Scott. It was Scott was the early clapper. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sorry, I just clapped early. Here's the real clap. All right, that's for Claire, that's for Scott. All right, there it is, yeah. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, 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 good. Well, guys, it's good to be with you tonight, even as we kick off our first evening session at camp. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to be here with you. I wanted to start just by telling you a little bit more about me that I didn't mention this morning, and that is, uh, my name is Nate. Most of you have heard that so far. If I haven't told you my name, that's what it is. Um, I'm married, and I have four beautiful children. Um, my oldest son, Graham, is here, and then Graham has three younger siblings that kind of go two years apart all the way down. So we, in our home, have boy, girl, boy, girl. I don't know how you are with all your so You got it? You can hear it out now? All right, there it is. And my wife's name is Amber. She is my best friend. She is such an incredible woman. I wish she could have been here because I know that she'd love to meet you. She'd love to get to know you. But in her place, I get to come, and we have a blast as a family. Um, I live right near a river, and so we love to go out and walk along the river. There are old fossils right on the river. And so we walk around and climb around on fossils all the time. So where I come from, when I was leaving home, the temperatures had just started to cool down because we're heading into winter. And so and you're going to have to help me out with some math here on some, uh, on some centigrade. But we were, we were pushing down in the 60s. You want to give that to me in math? 15, yeah, we were about 15 when I left. Um, and yeah, it just gets colder and colder um, over the next several months. And so to come here... It looks like you guys are turning up the heat, it seems, and so it's getting warmer and warmer. It was nice and warm today, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was warm. That's right. Get out, sweat, play some games. Yeah. Now, which team's doing the best so far? We've got a red team and a green team. All right, all right. I think they all agree that it is brown. You know what brown is? That's when you mix green and red together. So there we go, there we go. All right, all right. Like, wait, what's Team Brown? Uh, don't call it. Um, anyway, no, perhaps I think the most important detail about myself, when I talk to people, even as I moved to a new town three years ago, I moved into this town and I was getting to meet people. It's interesting because I'm a pastor, but when I would meet new people in town, that wasn't the thing I led with. I didn't start with, hi, my name's Nate, I'm a pastor. Well, what I often started with was, hi, my name's Nate, and I'm a follower of Jesus. Um, for me, it was a very simple way of stating what the goal of my life is. 2,000 years ago, there was a man, God come in the flesh man, who lived in Palestine, the Middle East, 2,000 years ago. He lived for 33 years and was executed by the Roman Empire. I follow him, which for some people is really strange. To say I follow somebody like that, it's like I'm the Padawan and he is the Jedi Master. I follow Jesus. But the reality is what he says radically changed my life. 
the way he lived, when I read the stories about him in the Gospels, radically changes the way I see the world and understand the world. As a follower of Jesus, I've come to see that Jesus, when he came into this world 2,000 years ago, saw the world that I see, broken, corrupt, but he could see it more clearly than I could see. Jesus had the clearest vision of what was wrong with the world, which meant that Jesus had the clearest vision of what could actually fix the world. Jesus lived in a, in a region called Palestine, but there in Palestine there was a smaller region called Judea, and inside of that there was a capital city called Jerusalem. How many of you have heard of Jerusalem before? All right, that helps me, that helps me. Okay, so Jerusalem, there where Jesus was from, where actually he is executed, when Jesus came to fix the brokenness in this world, Jesus didn't show up and try to become the governor of Jerusalem to fix the problems. Jesus didn't try to get elected to parliament so he could get in and really turn this thing around. Jesus saw that the problems of the world were not merely financial. It wasn't just social structures. That the primary issue in the world was sin. And so Jesus came to rescue us from sin. As we come to the Scriptures tonight, I'd like for you, if you have a Bible, to turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke 15. In all of his life, Jesus knew that he had come to rescue mankind. He, he knew that he had come to accomplish a perfect rescue. And his rescue wasn't going to be through election. His rescue was going to be through his own personal sacrifice. And that's what we'll see tonight. And Jesus had come to help us. And said another way, as you find the Gospel of Luke in chapter 15, we are lost, and Jesus had come to find us and to save us. And so to help those around him 2,000 years ago to understand this reality, Jesus told a story. And sometimes these stories, maybe you know the word parable, sometimes these parables, Jesus tells them so that the crowd hearing won't understand what he's talking about. He actually says that. Sometimes I speak in parables so people don't know what I'm talking about. This is a unique case where Jesus actually speaks in a parable to make sure everybody knows what he's talking about. He's crystal clear about his point. He's not going to hide the reality. It seems that as we read this tonight in these seven verses, we'll find a very clear story with a very clear point. And I hope by the time we're done studying God's Word tonight, you might see how the story Jesus tells is about you. That he's talking to them, but he's talking about you and about me. We'll be in Luke chapter 15. Hopefully by now you've gotten there. Before we read the scriptures, if you would join me as I pray and ask God to bless our time in his word. Let's pray. And Father, thank you for your kindness to us through Jesus. Even as we come tonight, we want to see Jesus. We want to understand Jesus. We want to have our hearts turned to treasure Jesus, to see his words as right and good and exactly what we need. And my friends here tonight that may not yet know Jesus, 
I ask that tonight would be the night that they would come to their senses and that they would choose to follow Jesus even tonight. Thank you. We love you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. I'll read down to verse 7. Then drew near unto him, Jesus, all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And he spake, Jesus spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents. Look at me. Joy shall resound in heaven over one sinner who will repent tonight. That's his story. More than over 90 and 9 just persons which need no repentance. And people who pretend to live right and act right and hide their sin and don't turn from it. This has been the word of the Lord. Here Jesus gives a story which for them, as I said, back in Palestine 2,000 years ago, they hear a story of a shepherd and it's very clear. He even presumes in it. He says, which man of you? He says, you know these kinds of details. Now, I don't know any of you well enough to know if you're sheep farmers. Anybody here a sheep farmer? No? No sheep in Moresby? All right. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Where I'm from, there aren't a lot of sheep farmers, and if they are, they aren't real sheep farmers. It's just weird people who own a sheep, um, and so they aren't real good farmers. For them, culturally, though, they would understand, in, in what we would say first century, Right around the time of Jesus, there in Palestine, they hear this like, oh, I know this kind of thing. It'd, it'd be like me talking about perhaps a Belem or a PMV. It's like, oh, I know what that's about. I have heard of these things before. Like for them, they hear this. This is their cultural context. And the story Jesus gives is this one. He says, a shepherd has a sheep. He's watching these sheep, a hundred of them one afternoon. And as he often does, he, he finishes his lunch. He puts down his peanut butter and jelly sandwich or tuna, or ham and cheese, depending on which one he had. Puts it down, and he goes to do what shepherds do. He, he starts counting his sheep to make sure they're all there. And so we go, oh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And he gets to 99. Oh, snap. Did I miss one? He recounts. Oh, one, two, three, four, five, six. Like me this morning during a mic test. Recounting another and another and another and another and another. And somebody's missing. A sheep's not here. One of the sheep is lost. It reminds me of a time I was traveling. Central America, the country of Honduras. How many of you ever heard of Honduras? Honduras is a Spanish-speaking country. My friend Matt Goins is a missionary there. And Matt, I went to visit him. 
And here, as I go to Honduras, Matt tells me, we're going to go on the funnest trip you've ever been on. <laughs> okay, tell me more. We're going to visit the tallest waterfall in all of Honduras. Okay. And we're going to go into the waterfall and behind it. Is that safe? Oh, there's like a company that runs it. We just go and we pay them and they have guides that take us into the waterfall. Okay, sounds interesting. I didn't know it was gonna be a 200 foot tall waterfall, a giant waterfall. But I went to Pulha Falls in Honduras and we got there to this, this waterfall. And I've gotta tell you, as I showed up, I felt like it was a little bit sketchy. I was like, I'm not really sure that we should be going into this waterfall. But the guy that was our guide who met us there said, oh, no, 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 this is very safe. Mm. That's because he wants me to pay him. I said to him, I said, his name's Alex. I said, Alex, how many people have died in the waterfall this year? And, and I'm there as a leader of a group. I've got about 15 young people who've gone on a trip with me to Honduras, and I'm supposed to take 15 young people through a waterfall. How many people have died here this year? Alex goes, there have never been any reported deaths here. There's a word in there, reported. I don't know if you heard it. That means we never told anybody that there was a death here. And that is not the question I asked, Alex. How many people have died? No reported deaths here. I was like, ah, that is not what I wanted to hear. Well, we go and we all line up, and here's how it works. This waterfall is this massive waterfall, wider than this stage. And what I thought we were going to do is come to the waterfall, go through the waterfall, and be on the backside of the waterfall. What they meant we were going to do is we were going to, at the base of the waterfall, is a thin ledge about that wide. And we were going to walk side by side through the waterfall. I don't know why we would do this. But he said, that's okay. We all hold hands. And you just follow the person in front of you as you go through the waterfall. Alex, how many people have died here? There have been no reported deaths. Because at this waterfall, you came off the waterfall, and it went right past the ledge. There was a little pool of water, and then another waterfall. So like if you fell off the ledge, you'd land in the water and be like, another waterfall. And I'm thinking to myself, what are we doing? And I look at my friend Matt, and I said, Matt, what are we doing? And he's like, oh, it's great, it's great, it's really fun, it's so much fun. I said, all right, if you'll do it, I'll do it. And he's like, oh, no, I'm not doing it. <laughs> you and your group can go do it. So we lined up, and Alex does this. Alex looks at our group, and he goes, oh, there's Trace, and he counts each one of us. Said, Why are you counting us? He says, all right, everyone hold hands. And he goes to the front of the line. Now, I'm a fearless leader, okay? I've got my group. I've got these people who will make it home with me. I will lose none of them to the waterfall. And as we hold hands, I decided the best thing to do would be to make sure that everybody in my group got through the waterfall before I went into the waterfall. So I'd be the last one. So if anybody got stuck, I'd be there to help them out of the waterfall. As they all lined up, we had all teen boys and one teen girl. And she decided that she felt safest next to me. 
And so there's this whole line of teen boys holding onto a teen girl's hand, and I'm at the end holding onto a teen girl's hand. And I don't know how they do teen girl hands here in Papua New Guinea, but back in America, they just like, like little dead fish, floppy little fish, <laughs> squeezy wet hand. As we went into the waterfall, we're just shimmying along, shimmy, 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 shimmy. And I'm just like, like trying to dig my fingernails into her hand because she's gonna pull that floppy dead fish out of my hand. Here we go, here we go, here we go. And you guessed it, like right in the middle of the waterfall, her little hand comes out. And the waterfall is just coming, like thousands of gallons of water. And I remember that moment being like, so this is how I die. Here we go. Don't worry, I didn't die. I'm here. Okay, I'm here right now. I didn't die. Just stay to the end of the story. I literally just leaned forward on this, on this rock face in front of me, just like leaned, while the water was like, thousand. And I was like, maybe if I shimmy, I was like, took a step, and I was like, no, I'm going to die. And I was just praying. I was like, dear Lord, I'm ready to see you now, but I don't want to, but I want to, but I don't want to. I got a family and kids, and these kids got to go home from this trip. In the middle of that, I don't know how long it was, suddenly in the waterfall is Alex. Grab my hand, grab my hand, grab my hand. Ah! Out of the waterfall. I got out, and I'm just like... And all of, all of the group is like, we thought you died. And I was like, ah, I thought I was going to die. I said, what happened? They said, Alex got us out. And he was like, oh, no, do it. Oh, no. <laughs> Back in the waterfall and came out with you. I see this story. I, I think of this story and I think of this moment where the shepherd sees he's missing one and it's, it's, it's quite concerning. And you have to understand because culturally, because we don't have sheep, Culturally, what's going through his mind in that moment? If the sheep is missing, the sheep not just is lost, but is in danger of losing its life. This is life or death. Because sheep are at the bottom of the food chain. Sheep are not the strongest animals. They, they, they aren't even, like there's really close animals to them, like goats. But sheep can't do it like mountain goats can do, climbing rocks. Sheep tries to climb a rock face, he's just gonna fall off to the bottom of the valley. Sheep are not like camels. They can't stay out in the dry desert. They can't drink a ton of water and hold it in them. They'll, they'll run out of water. They aren't like wallabies. You've seen one of these before? They, they can't just bound away from their predators and, and escape. Sheep can't survive on their own. The sheep have to have the shepherd. And so the sh shepherd in this moment that he's missing one knows that this little sheep is the most helpless of all the mammals. He knows that for every second that the sheep is not with him, the sheep is out there wandering. Her chances of survival decrease, get less and less. In that part of the world where Jesus was speaking, they all knew about these lions that lived in this area, hungry lions who would sniff all over, find themselves a chunky little sheep to eat. They'd know about that part of the world filled with cliffs, steep, rocky cliffs, where a foolish sheep's going to step 
and then the shepherd knows in this part of the world the nights can get cold and the days can get really hot and a little lamb left by itself can get overheated and can't find the cool water it needs to drink if it's not led there and cared for by the shepherd. It can get heat stroke. It can die with its wool on it. There's literally perils in every direction. Dangers all around the little sheep. And the sheep just oblivious. He's just like, nah. Meanwhile, the world around him will destroy him and kill him. He's oblivious. There were those robbers in this part of the world who would come and trick little sheep to follow after them and steal them and kill them. The shepherd, when he does his count, This is a serious moment. He cannot leave that little lamb alone. He must go get her. As Jesus tells the story, he tells how the shepherd goes out and he begins his search. And he will search until, verse 4, he finds it. How far could the little sheep have gone? Which direction did she go? Regardless, only he is on the mission to see her rescued. Her little lamb friends might hear about it and be like, oh no, she's gone. (laughs) Bah. (laughs) What are they going to do? Go get lost with her? She doesn't need her lamb friends for moral support right now. She needs the shepherd who will climb some rocks crawl through ravines, scrape his knuckles in his hands, bloody his knees and his feet. He'll take with him his water bottle, hoping that it'll last long enough for his quest as he searches under the scorching sun because he loves his sheep and he'll do whatever it takes to rescue a lost little lamb. Even if he has to face one of those ravenous lions. Even if he has to face a mob of angry robbers who'd steal his sheep. He'd risk his own life to rescue the life of his little lamb. What we find Jesus is doing here as he teaches this parable, this story, is he's making a comparison with himself. Hopefully you can start to see that. But as Jesus is teaching this, he doesn't just say, there was a lamb, cool story, bro. No, 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 no. He's talking about himself as the the shepherd who's come to rescue lost little lambs. Lambs who need rescuing. Lambs who are in danger of destruction by those who would deceive them and don't really care about them, only care about what they can get from them. Jesus has come, and He doesn't come looking at those people around Him who are lost and broken and say, well, well, they're too far gone. Oh, they did it to themselves. They're, it's their own fault. They're getting what they deserve. Jesus doesn't say any of those things. Rather, Jesus would say something completely different to all of those who are lost, all of those who are not with Jesus, all those who have not yet followed Jesus. He says to every single one of them the same thing. Come unto Me, as they just sang. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'm here for you. I want you. I love you, Jesus says. 
Those who really knew Jesus, those who were around Jesus 2,000 years ago, knew this about Jesus. He lived in such a way, you're going to see in just a second, he lived in such a way that everybody around him knew he was saying, come to me. doesn't matter who you are, how broken you are, no matter what your life looks like, no matter what things you've done, come to me. Follow me. Jesus has come to rescue all of them. Who are the lost people that his story is talking about here in Luke 15? Look at verse 1. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. A publican is a tax collector. Sinner often was an easy word to describe someone who was sexually promiscuous tax collectors and sinners. In this culture, those were the worst kinds of people. There was actually Jewish writings that talked about how you cared for those around you who were part of Jewish culture. So if you were ever a Jew walking along the road and you saw another Jew who was drowning, you had an obligation to go help and try to rescue them. And in the writing it said, unless they're a tax collector, then just let them drown. They hated and despised these people. Everybody looked and said, you look different, you act different, you live sinfully, you live in ways that God clearly says isn't right. Don't come near us with your sin. The modern day equivalent might be something like all those people who were politically corrupt greedy, taking advantage of others, pickpockets, all the people who are sexually immoral, those who love to scroll through their phones and look at filth, all the people who are angry and violent against others, all the people who speak evil about other people from other regions and other tribes, all of those sinful people, those broken kinds of people, came and sat down with Jesus. And he didn't go, get away from me. His message was a message of hope. He was careful to teach. If you could just see Jesus, my friends. He was careful to teach in such a way that those around him who were the lost ones, people who were following their lives of sin, people who were confused, people who were in danger of finding ruinous lives, all of these people would find themselves drawn to Jesus because of how wonderful He was. They were drawn to what He was saying, yes, but I would beg to say they were drawn to how He said it. Because when somebody has a heart of compassion and they actually love you, you go, I want to be around that person. These who were broken, these who were sinful, these who thought they could not ever be part of Jesus' crowd found the welcome open arms of Jesus. Come, learn from me. His method was as important as his message. But notice what happens. Verse 2 describes 
the response of those around him. Look at verse 2. The Pharisees and scribes murmured. That means complain. They grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Pharisees and scribes, again, culturally, for them in their world, Pharisees and scribes were like the religious people. They were the church people. Like, think Pharisees and scribes as like pastors and worship leaders. Deacons. They're the religious leaders of the day. And they look at what Jesus is doing, how Jesus draws to himself these broken and sinful people, how these broken and sinful people feel welcome around Jesus, how these broken and sinful people find hope through the words and the ministry of Jesus. And they look and they go, Ew, gross. Jesus was sinners. Yuck. I don't hang out with that kind of people. Me and my friends would never be caught dead with a sinner like that. You see, the religious crowd did not have a category of understanding Jesus' love and compassion. And I love that even Luke includes the phrase at the end of verse 2, He eats with them. In this culture, as in many cultures around the world, it was a sign that you really loved and accepted someone if you would sit down and share food with them. That you would reach your hand in the same bowl that they would reach their hand in. That you would reach your clean hands into the same bowl they would reach their gross hands into. That you would reach your sinless hands, Jesus, into the same bowl that they would reach their sinful hands. They just finished pocketing money they stole from people. They just finished with their actions of sexual immorality. And now they're going to eat out of the same bowl as him? Ugh. Not my bowls. Not my house. Not my dishes. I'm like, I have to burn the silverware after we left. This is Jesus. Come to see Jesus here. That while all those who think they understand what religion is all about absolutely miss it, Jesus completely gets it. He didn't come to be elected as member of parliament or to be governor. He came to find little lost lambs to rescue you from your sin. The religious crowd looked and said, see how sinful they are? There's no denying it. But Jesus would say, look at how sinful they are. There's no denying it. And that means they need to be rescued from their sin by love and patience and gentleness. It is, in Romans 2, again, the kindness of God that leads to repentance. The kindness of Jesus that will lead these sinners where they need to go. Jesus came to extend kindness to the most downcast, the most broken, the most repulsive, the most rejected by society. Jesus came to love the One who everybody around them mocked. Who everyone around them shriveled back in disgust. And Jesus would see them and He would invite them to be with Him. He would say, come to Me. The one that religion would say, you can't come around here. Jesus would say, oh, please come around here. 
It doesn't matter where you come from. It only matters where you come to. Come to me. Don't miss this. This is key, young people. As you hear tonight these words of Jesus, do not miss this point. Why does Jesus want people to come, these people to come and be around Him? Why does He want those with broken lives to come to Him? Is it because Jesus loves hanging out? Jesus is just a cool dude, and He's like, I love hanging out with people. Like, if some dudes show up, we'll be able to play a pickup game of rugby. It'll be really fun. Jesus is like, just come over. I've got some frozen pizzas from the store. We'll warm them up and just have a, have a guy's time. Why is Jesus inviting these kinds of people, all kinds of people, to himself? It's not because Jesus is just trying to grow his group of friends. It's because Jesus is on mission and he's here to rescue little lost sheep. That's why he invites them in. We see it in what he describes. Verse 7, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents. I invite them all in and they're all sitting around me and I don't know which one's going to turn. I'm going to tell them the good news that I've come to rescue them from their sin. I don't know which one's going to turn from their sin tonight. I'm going to tell all of them. And somewhere right here in the middle of brokenness and sinfulness, somewhere right here is one little lamb that's lost, and I just found them. That while I tell them the good news of the gospel, they go, bah. And I go, there you are, lost sheep. I've been looking for you. I'm here to rescue you. Did he rescue all of the publicans and sinners that came to him? No, he didn't. Many of them would return to their ways of life. But there would be little sheep that would come and he would rescue that little lamb. And that rescue would look like repentance. He sees clearly that they are trapped in sin and he's come to rescue them from their sin. God shows his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ dies for us. Jesus comes with the good news message that although every one of you, look at me young people, look at me, look at me in the eyes. Although every one of you, because you were born a sinner and have chosen to sin in this life, although every one of you, because of that, deserve the wrath, the just punishment of God on you in a place called hell forever and ever and ever. Jesus came to rescue you. And how did he do that? There in Jerusalem, Jesus offered himself to die on a cross. He would take on that cross, the scriptures tell us, the sin, your sin, my sin, the punishment of God poured out, the wrath of God on Jesus, bearing our sin in His own body on that tree. Jesus would bear the punishment for our sin. Why? So we could be rescued. Because if He didn't bear it, we will. But He offers to you rescue. What's it look like to be rescued? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him 
That when you come to comprehend, when you come to believe that what Jesus did by dying on the cross in your place is all you need to be accepted by God, to be forgiven by God of your sins. If you say, I don't want my sin anymore, I want Jesus. Ba, 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 you're a little lamb that just got rescued. Jesus has come to rescue and he brings the rescue by seeing those who are in sin turn, repent from their sins and choose to follow after him. He offers to you an invitation that you can hear him say, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Come to me, I've come to rescue you little lamb. And with gentleness and patience, Jesus invites you. It often looks like a lot of time and a lot of conversations. I have a friend back home. We planted our church three years ago and in the process have met a number of people. One of the things we regularly do, my wife and I, she's amazing, is open up our home. We invite people to come into our home by the dozens. Lots of people come in our home. And we share meals with them. And we don't check and see if they're a sinner or not before they come in because all are sinners. There's just different degrees of who's willing to admit it. And they come in, and, and it was a couple years ago, back in 2022, a friend of mine came over and he brought five or six of his friends. And none of them were followers of Jesus, just my friend. As they came over and hung out that night, I met a girl there in my own home named Ashley. And as we talked to Ashley, I found Ashley's story. I asked her if I could share it. She said I could. Ashley's story is one of brokenness. When I met Ashley in February of 2022, Ashley had come from a home that was really a little shaky. When Ashley was born, her mom was hooked on drugs. She was addicted to drugs. And eventually it got to the point where her mom couldn't care for her, and so she was handed off to her grandparents to be raised. As her grandparents tried to raise her, she never got along with her grandfather and found her teen years, your years, to be incredibly difficult. And sometimes anger was one of the chief problems and violence in her home. By the time she got out of high school and she began university, at the end of her first year of university, Ashley herself was following the same destructive path her mom had followed. She was dabbling in drugs, drinking all the time with all her friends, passing out at friends' houses, vomiting all over friends' houses, living a life of immorality, living a life where she hated what she was doing, filled with depression and anxiety. And I sat on my couch, and I talked to Ashley one night, and I meet her that night. And I remember we talked late into the night, and several of us are sitting around talking. Me and a couple of my friends from my church had come over that night. I remember looking at Ashley and going, Ashley, it sounds like you need to become a follower of Jesus. I think as I hear all the troubles that you're describing, the, the bad decisions that you're making, it sounds like you, you need to turn from that and choose to follow Jesus. Oh, I would love to tell you that in that moment, Ashley was like, oh, yes, how do I do that? But she didn't. 
He's like, maybe. He said, well, come over next Tuesday and hang out. We'll have a bunch of friends over playing some games, eating some food. We'll talk again. Ashley came for months. A year later, Ashley is part of our friend group, and we would hear that her friends, her other friends, unconverted friends, are going out to party, have wild parties, drinking tons of alcohol. And I would say, Ashley, how about instead of going with them, you just come over and be with us and be a part of our family? And she'd say, okay, maybe I'll do it this week. She'd come over and we would talk to her about how that she needs to turn from her sin and needs to follow Jesus. It was this spring, back in April, she was over at the house. Nobody else was there, our family and Ashley. And Amber, my wife, stayed up with Ashley till like 4 o'clock in the morning, answering questions, talking about God, talking about the Gospel. And Amber told me the next day, she said, I think something happened last night in our conversation. Ashley told me that she decided to forgive some people who'd done things wrong to her. Ashley told me that she decided that she didn't want to continue living in sin the ways that she had. Ashley told me that she wanted to be a follower of Jesus. Ashley's life turned sharp. The brokenness of her life became part of her past, not part of her present. Ashley put her faith in Jesus. Ashley, I got to baptize Ashley just a couple of months ago and add her as a member to our church family. One little sheep that Jesus rescued. And it looked like repentance. It looked like turning from her sin. Young people, I don't know why you're here this week for camp. I don't know what your motivation is for being here. I don't know if your parents were like, you're going to do this. I don't know if you were like, my friends are doing it, I'll come and I'll hang out, we'll have a good time. I know this, that whoever you are and whyever you're here, Jesus has come to rescue you. What does that look like? For those of you who have never Turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus. Jesus has come for you. He wants to rescue you. You live a life, look at me, you live a life, some of you come and you live a life where you have secret things that nobody around you knows about. You're living a life of hidden sins. Some of you, with your friends, you're doing things when nobody at this church is around. When nobody at this school is around. But you know in your heart of heart, every time you do, you go, that's not right, I shouldn't be doing that. That's sin. And that's your conscience bearing witness. It's telling you, stop. Turn from that. And sometimes you go, "Mm, doesn't matter, I'll just do it anyway. And Jesus comes and goes, I've died to rescue you from that. Will you believe him? Will you turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus and choose to follow Him? Will you? Tonight? Some of you go, I I, I am a follower of Jesus, Nate. Thank God. You rescued little lamb. Then follow Jesus. There's a tendency that church folk have 
to look at other people and figure out reasons why we don't want them around. And Jesus here shows you exactly what to do. Are there people in your life that you intentionally don't want to be around? They're too gross for you. They're not my kind of people. Oh, friend, Christian brother or sister, repent of that sin and follow Jesus. I would say to you tonight, Jesus has come. Jesus has come to rescue you. Will you be willing to give your life to him? Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Friends, we come to the end of our time in Luke 15 tonight. And I hope you've seen the words of Jesus. He's good at what he does. Maybe you're here tonight and you've not yet made a decision to follow Jesus. You come around Capital City Baptist, you come around Spia, but for you, Jesus is a thing that they talk about. He's not a person that you have chosen to follow. You live a life marked by sin, whether that's disobedience to your parents, or that's lying, or that's stealing. It's hidden sins that you commit. You need to turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus tonight. Maybe there's something you need to get right, Christian young person. You're hiding things. And it's time to confess it and ask God to rescue you from it. Is there anyone here tonight